I really desire that God is pleased with your finances. And I want to, more than anything, be a help to you in this area. And so if you'll, if you'll just have a little bit of mercy, let me tell you my story. Uh, we went to New Zealand in 1996, and God blessed amazingly. The church there was, was a really a miracle story. Uh, we had six years in a row every Sunday morning for six years we had a first-time visitor at least one in the morning service and we had people saved and baptized regularly in a place that many missionaries wrote off as a too hard kind of a place uh, we had buses running and people out soul winning every week and people saved and lives changed and 16 young men called to preach and, and God just did an amazing thing there in New Zealand uh, after I'd been pastoring there for about five years, I, I had a desire one day. I thought, I, I really need to teach about finances from the Bible. And so I began to study the Bible on that subject. And it didn't take very long, and I was very convicted. Because although when I looked at the church that I was pastoring and I looked at the ministry that God had given me, I felt like that uh, I was a success in that area. God was obviously blessing I knew personally that I was a total failure with my money. I had about $20,000 in credit card debt. And I, as I began to study the Bible, I was so convicted with my own failures that I knew that I was not going to be able to teach on the subject of money for quite a while. Because before I could teach, I knew that I had to, first of all, find out what God taught about it. And secondly, I had to start using it in my own life. I, I just could not stand and say, this is what God said unless I was doing it. And so I began a very intense Bible study on the subject of finances, and I started in the book of Proverbs because King Solomon, the Bible says, was the wisest man, and there's no doubt that he was also extremely wealthy, and I thought by putting those two together, I ought to be able to get some answers about money, and so I began going verse by verse through the book of Proverbs and pulling out every verse uh, that mentioned anything to do with money, anything to do with wealth or poverty or any, any word that even correlated to finances, and I pulled those out and studied those verses. I found 159 verses in the book of Proverbs. That is more than one out of every six verses in the book. So according to the wisest man that ever lived, over one-sixth of wisdom has to do with your money. Then I began to branch out and study other verses in the Bible, and, and uh, I began to group them together and put them in categories and, and uh, put together a plan for my own finances, and then I began to apply it, and God began to bless you see, the issue of money is not really about money. It's about pleasing God. And the question is not how much money you have, but is God pleased with what you're doing right now? And so I want to teach for the next four Wednesday nights, I want to teach you what God says about money. And my goal is not that you become rich, although I honestly believe some of you may. My goal is that when God sees how you handle your finances, that God is pleased. Because I believe that God is very rich. Would you agree? God is never short on money. God makes it very clear that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine, and he is never poor. The problem that God has is not not having enough wealth. It's finding responsible stewards that he can give it to so that they will use it correctly. And most of us have proved over and over to God that we're not good stewards. And so I want to help you. I began to take these truths that I was getting from the Word of God and put them into a series of Bible studies. And about 10 years ago, I preached a series of 32 lessons 
on Wednesday nights to the church that I was pastoring there in Wanganui, New Zealand. And immediately I noticed a change in our offerings. I noticed a change in our tithes. I noticed a change in the faith promise giving. I noticed a change in the peace in the marriages and the families in my church because they began to handle their money the way that God said that they should and God began to bless them accordingly. And so I, as I taught those studies, uh, the first couple I taught just like you normally would on a Wednesday night, and then one of my men came to me and said, Pastor, is it possible that we could have the lessons printed out? And uh, he said, I want to take all these lessons and put them into a three-ring binder and I want to have a book when I'm all done. And I said, man, that is a great idea. And so I began to print all of them and bring copies. And on Wednesday night, I gave them out almost as a chapter of a book each Wednesday night so that at the end of the series, everyone had a three-ring binder and everyone had a book. And then eventually, uh, over time, they got, uh, they got uh, trimmed up and proofread and cleaned up. And, and then uh, a few years ago, my, my nephew called me and he had some financial questions. And, and I was talking to him and he said, Uncle Mark, you really need to write a book. And I was very intimidated by that because I, I didn't even know where to start. And uh, I called some friends, talked to some people that are much wiser than I am about authoring a book, and they helped me. And uh, about a year ago, my book was, became available on, on Amazon.com as a, as a Kindle book or a, an e-book. If you have an e-reader, you can download the book. And then yesterday, for the first time, it became available in the printed version. And so if you would like to... Uh, not come back the next three Wednesday nights. No, no, don't do that. Uh, if you would like to get a much wider version of what I'm going to be teaching over the next four Wednesday nights, if you'd like to kind of get the whole series all in one, one group, the name of the book is The Birthright and the Blessing. The Birthright and the Blessing. I think the Kindle version is $9.99. I think the, the print version, um, because it's a new book, they're giving a 10% discount, so it's $13.49 or something like that. And uh, if you want to uh, get that book and, and download that or order that, you're welcome to. I have one copy here, and so that's what the cover looks like. And if you see that, you'll know the birthright and the blessing. And uh, the reason it's named that is because I began to study some great Christians in the Bible. Now, I don't know... I don't know uh, many of you, I'm sure, were, were raised in this church, and this has been your home church. Uh, I know many of you have come from other churches. I, I, I grew up in upstate New York in a small church, and uh, when I was a boy and I went to church, money was one of the things that just wasn't talked about, especially in church, because it wasn't spiritual. And there was kind of an attitude there that uh, if you, you, know, if you, if you were, had too much money, you weren't spiritual. If you were really spiritual, you had to be poor. Or, or at least struggling. And, uh, and so if somebody did succeed, they didn't talk about it much because they didn't want to be, uh, they didn't want to appear as, as being unspiritual. And so there was always that undercurrent that you should be, uh, I mean, bless God, our eyes are on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And so if you've got a nice, too nice of a car or too nice of a house, you're obviously not right with God. Now that was never said that way, but that kind, that kind of, that idea kind of permeated everything. That was how I grew up. And, and then when I began to look in the Bible and study some of the heroes of the Bible, the, the men that we hold up as heroes of the faith, like Abraham. Have you ever looked at Abraham in the Bible? Do you know how wealthy he was? Do you know that he had 319 employees in his company, all of them armed and trained in his own house? Do you know that when he died and he gave his entire estate to Isaac, 
that Isaac increased it by 100% the first year? Because Abraham did not only give his wealth to his son, but he taught his son what to do with it. Do you know that when Isaac died, he had two sons, and Jacob got the birthright and the blessing. Now, if you look at those carefully, you'll find the birthright means he got the money, the animals, the belongings, he got the goods. But when you read the blessing carefully, the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob was the right to basically run the family company. That was the blessing that he gave. When Jacob was on his deathbed at the end of Genesis and he calls in his 12 sons, when you read Genesis chapter 49 with the 12 sons sitting around and you listen to the words of Jacob as he goes around the room and says, this is your strength, this is your weakness, this is your strength, this is your weakness. And, and by the way, uh, Joseph, you get to run the company. It's almost like a CEO at, the board, at a board meeting and he's, he's naming the different strengths and weaknesses of his employees and saying, uh, this is what you're good at, this is what you're bad at. Reuben, I can't trust you, unstable as water. Naphtali, you're good at carrying a burden. And uh, Judah, you're the lawgiver, you're, you're gonna make the rules, but Joseph's gonna run the company. And what I see as I study the lives of these great men is people that had an understanding of finances, even in the New Testament. The apostle Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. If I can paraphrase that, he said, I know how to sleep on the ground and I know how to stay at the Hilton. I've done both. When you look at the life of Barnabas, you see a godly man who was given the nickname by his church, the son of compassion, who when the church had financial struggles, sold some property, brought the money and said, here pastor, that'll fix everything. Now I'm gonna tell you a secret. You can't sell property unless you own it. Even going to Proverbs 31 and studying the virtuous woman, she seeth a piece of land and buyeth it. You know there's a whole chapter in your Bible, in the book of Genesis, one whole chapter of your Bible is a single real estate transaction where Abraham went and bought a piece of land with a cave at the end of it for a grave for his wife. Why did God put that in there? I want to show you tonight that God has a plan for you. And I want to show you that God has a method that you can follow that will help you, again, not necessarily to become ultra-wealthy, but to please Him with what you do have. Now, I want to just give you one quick example, and I'll get into the Bible study. Yesterday, I finished reading the Bible. I think, I'm pretty sure, I, I, I'm, I'm, I may be off one or two, but I'm pretty sure that was the 41st time that I read through the Bible. That does that, that is not impress God at all. When I say to God, I've read the Bible 41 times. Do you know what impresses God? That I read it today. Did you read it today? You see, when you say, well, I, 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 I've done this much, God, God wants to know where you are right now. The question is not how much money do you have in the bank? The question is, are you following the plan that God has given us for our finances right now? I want you to take your Bible and look, if you would, at the book of Luke. There's a parable here, and we're going to get into this a little bit toward the end. But in Luke chapter 16, there's a parable that has confused Bible scholars for centuries. And I have personally studied a number of different commentaries on this chapter, and it's amazing what people pull out of the air to try to make this chapter make sense or try to say what it's actually saying. But 
I want to I explain it to you tonight in a way that I think you'll see it very clearly because I believe that this parable is a very basic lesson on money. And I believe that God did not leave us without instruction on our finances. But I want to begin by reading in verse 9. So if you look with me at Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, Jesus is speaking and he said, And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now, uh, the name of this series, the, the title that we've given to these four Bible studies is called Passing God's Money Test. There are actually three tests. We just read them. Did you know that before God uses someone, he tests them? Before God said, God said, before I give you the power of my Holy Spirit, before I give you a great opportunity, before I give you that miracle soul winning experience, before I give you the influence that you need to change lives in your Sunday school class, before I use you, I'm gonna test you a little bit. You see, the Bible says six different times that God is not a respecter of persons. God does not say, I'm gonna use you because you're tall, beautiful, rich, or American. God said, I'm gonna use you when you pass the test. And so I'm gonna give you a test, and when you pass the test, I'll use you. I'll give you another test. When you pass that test, I'll use you. I'm gonna give you a test. If you fail the test, you have proven to me that I cannot trust you, and I'm your God, you're my child, I love you, but love and trust aren't the same thing. And so while I'm loving you, I may not be able to use you. Now, here are the three tests that the Bible says. First of all, the first question that Jesus wants to know is, are you faithful in the little things? Now, if you've got your bulletin and you want to write in the blanks on the back of your bulletin, these are listed there. The first test is the test of little things. God tests us by giving us very small responsibilities to see what we do with it. And it's surprising how many people are given a small task making your bed in the morning. How you doing, teens? Uh, a small task. Empty the garbage when mom asks you to. A small task, something that no one's going to see. Something that is asked of you and then the person that asks it forgets that they ask. God said, I'm going to give you these small tests, the things that almost don't matter, to see if they matter to you. Because if your attitude is, one day when I'm asked to do something really big that really matters, then I'm going to give it my all, you'll never get asked. Because God is going to test you first on how you do with the small things. So God said, I'm going to give you something. If you do it well, I'll give you something bigger. If you do it well, I'll give you something bigger. And that is biblically the test 
of little things. And that, you find that there in verse 10. It's laid out very clearly. And then in verse 11, he talks about the second test. Are you faithful with your money? If you want to write that down, you can write the test of unrighteous mammon. Now, when the Bible talks about unrighteous mammon or the mammon of unrighteousness, it is not saying that money is wicked. It is simply saying that it is not righteous. In other words, right, money is not right or wrong. It is what you do with it that makes it right or wrong. Just like a gun. A gun is not a sin. But it depends what you point it at when you pull the trigger. That makes a big difference. It's like fire. Fire can be very good when it's in your campfire and you're roasting a hot dog and very bad when it's in the forest in California. Fire is not good or bad. It is unrighteous fire, not righteous fire. It just depends what you do with it. The Bible says that God has given you mammon, which is physical belongings or cold hard cash, and God says, I'm watching what you do with it because what you do with it determines whether I give you the true riches. Do you know there are a lot of people that do not have the respect of their children because they don't handle their money well? They don't have a good marriage because they don't handle their money well. They don't have any impact at the workplace because they don't handle their money well. They don't have any influence in their ministry because they don't handle their money well. God said, I'm testing you. Every time that you hold a dollar in your hand, God is testing you to see what you're going to do with that money. Are you a good steward with what God has given you? And if you are a good steward, then God says, you have proven to me that you know what to do with something that has no morality in itself. You have proven yourself to be a good steward. Therefore, I'll now give you what really matters. So God says, I'm going to test you with the little things. Do you get up on time in the morning? Do you have good hygiene? I heard Brother Hiles say he wouldn't hire somebody if their shoes weren't polished. That's because he's, he was a lot like God. God said, I look at the little things and see how you're doing the little things, and, and then I, I, I can, know I can trust you with the big things. And then I watch what you do with your money. Can I remind you that when you came here, when you showed up, you didn't have any money? Was anybody born with money? Look, Mom, uh, you had none. Can I remind you that when you leave, you're not bringing any with you? Money is just one of those things that it, 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 you get it when you get here and you leave it all behind when you go, and it's just a test all the way along. God said, here, here's some cash. I'm watching what you do with it because I want to give you some things that are really important. I want to give you the true riches, but I'm testing you with that non-righteous mammon first. And then number three, he says, I'm going to test you with things that don't belong to you. If you want to write this down, the test of other people's things. So when you borrow the neighbor's drill, or you say, hey, can I have a cup of sugar? I'll pay you back on Thursday. Or if you borrow somebody's car and ding it, God said, I'm testing you. You know, you know what I hated in college? I hated to walk in the room and have the teacher say, pop quiz. I hated a test that I wasn't ready for. But you know what's even worse than a pop quiz? Is when you're being tested and you don't know it. I left the chapel one day at Hiles Anderson College. I went up the stairs, and Dr. Maurice Paulson was right in front of me. And as we walked up the stairs, 
the teacher in the front and the student behind, I noticed that he dropped the little piece of paper. It fell on the step and he kept walking up the stairs and down the south hallway there at Howells Anderson College. And I stopped with all those students lined up behind me. I stopped and I reached down and I picked up the piece of paper and I chased him down the hall and I said, Dr. Paulson, you dropped this piece of paper. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, I know, I wanted to see if you'd pick it up. <laughs> I didn't even know I was being tested. You know, God does that to you. God said, I'm watching what you do with the little things and I'm watching what you do with your money watching how you handle things that don't belong to you because you're showing me that you're trustworthy and when you pass those tests, then I can use you. Do you know that when you take out a credit card, you're using other people's money? Do you know if you have a car payment, you're using other people's money? Do you know that if you make a dollar and you don't tie the 10 cents on that dollar, that's a test of the little things. Do you know that all three of these correlate very closely to your finances on a daily basis? And I'm not doing an injustice by tying them to your money in all three cases because we're going to go back in a second and read the previous part of the chapter and you're going to see that this whole chapter is about money. I've got to move quickly. Look at the beginning of Luke chapter 16. This is called the parable of the unjust steward. And you're going to see that God is teaching us something about our finances. The Bible says, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a servant, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then said he to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, an hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, that, that is a, a parable that was given by our Savior to teach us something. And in order for you to see what I see when I read that chapter, I want to break it down and make some observations. And you're going to write these in on the back of your bulletin there if you've got one. And I think that as we go, you're going to see that this parable makes a lot of sense and also that it's very condemning to the way that a lot of Christians handle their own finances. All right? Number one, the rich man had a steward. Now, that's pretty easy. The rich man is God, and the steward is you. God has given you some things, and he says, these are not yours, these are mine. You're going to control them for a while, and I'm going to see how you do. I'm going to give you a house, a car, clothes, bank account, children, friends, a church, and I'm going to see what you do with it. They don't belong to you. You're just a steward over them for the 60, 70, 80 years that you're here on this planet, and I'm just going to watch what you do with the things that literally belong to God. So the rich man had a steward. Number two, you can write that down if you want. Uh, a rich man had a steward. Number two, the steward was accused. Now, having uh, 
having had to learn another language, there's something about the wording of this verse that jumps out at me, and that is that in our English King James Version, that is in the passive tense. The steward was accused. It does not say someone accused the steward. It says the steward was accused. That's because the issue here is not who did the accusing. The steward is who got accused. The issue is who got accused. The steward did something wrong, and somebody said, hey, you messed up. When, when you have a problem with your finances, it does no good whatsoever to try to find out who to blame. Because there's only one person that can fix it, and that's you. You can say, my boss doesn't pay me enough, the government takes too much out for taxes, the preacher's always begging for more money. That's not the problem. None of those other people are the problem. The problem has to come back to the person that's wearing your shoes if you're wearing them right now. Some of you aren't. <laughs> if there's a fire, you're in trouble. Uh, <clears throat> whose fault is it? Who decides where the money goes? Who signs the check? So the master came and he heard accusations against his steward. Number three, the Bible says he had wasted his Lord's goods. That means the master gave something to the servant and the accusation was they wasted it. I want to make an observation here. The average income in America today is somewhere around $25,000 a year. That may be a little low, but I think that uh, that's a, that's a, in, in a room this size, if we got all the incomes and we averaged it out, it'd be somewhere around $25,000 a year. If you start working at the age of 25 and you work until you're 65, that's 40 years at $25,000 a year. Simple math tells you that you made a million dollars in your lifetime. The question is not how much you make. The question is when you get to 65, how much do you still have? Do you know the average 55-year-old in America today has about $13,000 in savings? You can't live off that, folks. We're wasting our money. We're buying all kinds of toys and trinkets. We're using credit cards and payment plans, and it's not our money. It's God's money. God said, I gave you this money so that you could handle it correctly and use it to do something that would have an impact for eternity and you would have some treasures that you could send on up to heaven. But when I come and see what my servants, my stewards are doing with my goods, I find that they're being wasted. So the master has a steward, the steward is accused, and the accusation is that he has wasted goods. Now, I want you to notice that at this point, he's called an unjust steward. Okay? Then, number four, the steward had a chance to redeem himself. Now, I don't know where you are with your financial life. You might have a million dollars in the bank and... You might be in debt up to your eyeballs. I don't know where you are. You might be just making it paycheck to paycheck. You might have a little bit, bit of breathing room. You may not be answering the phone right now because the bill collectors are calling you. I don't know where you are in your financial life. But I do know this, wherever you are, God has a solution. If God can take the worst sinner and save him and give him eternal life and get him to heaven, God can take the worst debtor and get him out of trouble. There's always a solution. 
And the steward said, I have not done the right thing. I have wasted my Lord's goods. I will find a solution. He had a chance to redeem himself. I want everybody right now to take a deep breath. If you're still breathing, you still have hope. Amen. If you're still breathing, it's not too late. You've got, you've got time to do something about it. And over the next three weeks, we're going to have a very definite plan that will help you to get out of financial trouble if you're in trouble right now. So I'm going to go back through. Number one, the rich man had a steward. Number two, the steward was accused. Number three, he had wasted his Lord's goods. Number four, the steward had a chance to redeem himself. Number five, the steward found a solution. Now, when you read the verses, this is the solution. He called up people that owed his Lord money and said, I'm going to give you a discount. And a lot of people, when they read that parable, they say, aha, there's the unjust steward. He's unjust because he's stealing from his master and telling people they don't have to pay their bills. But did you notice as we read the story that after he found this solution, that the master came and commended him. The unjust steward was unjust when he was wasting his Lord's money, and he was commended when he used his Lord's money to prepare for his immediate future. You know what we are really, really bad at? We are really bad at preparing for our immediate future. If you lost your job tomorrow, how many of you have $10,000 that you could get through the next couple of months? Please don't raise your hand. Somebody will rob you after church. If you had to retire today, how would you make it? If Social Security got shut down next year, very good chance. What would you do? Sometimes when I sit down and financially counsel people, I'll say, give me a list of your assets. I don't want to know about your house. I don't want to know about your jewelry. I don't want to know what kind of car you drive. I want to know what assets that you have that are paying you an income every month. Give me a list of those assets. And the general response is something like this. Because we don't have income-producing assets. By the way, an income-producing asset is not a treasure. It's totally different. So the, the servant said, my master's going to come and find out that I wasted his money. My solution is I'm going to take his money and use it to secure my future. And the master came, found out what he had done, and said, good job. Way to go. And Jesus is teaching this parable, and he's making these statements. Uh, here's the next one. You can write this down. The steward prepared for the near future. The steward prepared for the near future. He had a plan. He said, you know what? I'm going to get old one day. I don't want to beg. I would be ashamed. I'm going to be too old. My, back, my back's no good. I'm not going to be able to dig. I've got to have a plan for when I'm physically unable to work. I'm going to prepare for the future. Now, I'll tell you what's happened. About 80 years ago, 
the government came up with a plan that has duped all of us called Social Security. And if you have paid into Social Security your whole life, I hope to goodness that you get it all back. I really do. But that's not God's plan. I, 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 have, I get a statement every month or every year how much I'm supposed to get back out of Social Security when I die. And you know what? It hasn't changed for a long time. And you know what else? It looks like less every year. Because the price of gas keeps going up and the price of milk keeps going up and the price of electric keeps going up. And by the time I get it, my $212 a month isn't going to go very far. But that's not God's plan anyway. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, depend on the government to pay for your future. God said, I have given you an income and I've given you a plan and you're wasting my goods. You better fix it quick because you've been accused and I'm going to come and check it out. Now, I'm going to promise you that if you're here for the next three Wednesday nights, I'm going to show you very clearly what God's plan is because God did not leave us in the lurch. He wrote the most amazing book on the planet and it's got the plan in there. But Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples and giving this parable and teaching about the money and, and saying, you know what? Hey, guys, are you, are you aware of the fact that God's testing you? You're getting tested with the little things. You're getting tested with your money. You're getting tested when you borrow something from somebody else. You're aware of that, right? And all of a sudden, in the middle of it all, he looks at his followers and he says, do you know that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light? We're walking around saying we are so spiritual. We gave all of our money away. And I'm just living by faith. I hate to be blunt, but that's not faith. Faith is when you obey a command of God. God didn't tell you to be stupid. God didn't tell you to be broke. God expects you to follow his plan and to prepare for the future. Now, if that scares you, I don't mean to scare you. And again, you can start today. And God's got a plan to follow. But Jesus Christ said, those folks out there, they've got mutual funds. They've got annuities. They've got all kinds of plans where you can purchase something that will pay you back over time. And they're smarter than we are. Because we know we're going to heaven. And when I die everything's going to be fine. And, he, and you're right, everything will be fine. But I'm really worried about the 10 years in a nursing home between now and then. What about disability? God has a plan for every situation in, the Bible, in, in your life. It's all in the Word of God, and that's what we've got to find. Now, I so want to help you, because I'm going to teach next week a way that you can start handling your money that's going to give you hope for the future. So that means for seven days, you just got to live in despair and walk around crying all the time and come back next Wednesday night, and I'm going to give you some hope. Now, here's two things. First of all, if you want to get a head start, you can order the book. I promise you I'm not getting rich from writing this book or selling it, but it will be a help to you. It's a very thought-out, logical plan. I've written the book purposely to be easy to read, and I really want it to help you. You can download it for your, uh, your e-book reader, or you can purchase the, the copy, and it should be at your house in a couple of days. Also, uh, Pastor Wilkerson has given me permission 
after the Bible study tonight to meet with you in the uh, West Overflow Room. If you're interested, if you have questions, if I can help you with anything, uh, come to the West Overflow Room. I'll be there for a few minutes after the service, and I'm happy to help you if I can. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, and uh, don't we have a great God.